that, man, you brought life. You breathed life into us there in Corinth when we heard that you guys are standing fast. There's nothing better than to see those who have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter what age they were when they accepted the Lord, but to see them to continually walk in the Lord. How heart-wrenching and how heartbreaking it is to see believers fall away and they lose the fire that they once had when they first got saved. And this is what Paul is referring to. They didn't fall away. They were standing fast in their faith. And he says, man, it brings life to us. It breathes life into us. You have just renewed us in such a great way. We live if you stand fast in the Lord. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Turn to your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. Just share with you a little bit of the thought process that takes place in, at the beginning of the week to the week before, thinking about this coming message and really dealing wanting to deal with some of the perhaps prophetic issues that's taken place where we're at prophetically in the Word of God. During this week, I've had this thought and something that we had realized, and it initially began to look at, well, let's just review First Thessalonians and see what Paul was talking about, the Lord's coming, and just remind ourselves all that Paul taught the church in Thessalonica about the Lord's soon return. And then as I laid out all those scriptures on a piece of paper, much like this, in my computer. I thought, well, let's take it a little further. And in each chapter, let's see where Paul looked at what the church was doing well, or perhaps what he wanted them to do as they lived in this earth, but then looking forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. And so what ended up developing was a look at 1 Thessalonians. And what I view is Paul had one eye fixed on the current circumstances that he and the church of Thessalonica currently were going through. But also he got them to focus their attention toward the coming of Jesus Christ. I believe this is a great way in which we should live because we have to deal with the current circumstances we're in each and every day. But then we have that hope and the future hope of Jesus is coming that is in our lives also. And so we're living for the future, looking toward the future coming of Jesus, but also living in the current circumstances and situations that we are each in each day of our lives. So he's looking forward. He's looking at their current circumstances. He sees a work of faith. He sees a labor of love. He sees patience of hope. But he also is looking forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to save us from the wrath to come. 
God's judgment is going to come upon this earth. Now, God has judged this earth in many ways and shapes and forms. He uses wars at times to bring judgment. But the wrath to come is speaking about a time where God will work in this earth unlike any other time since it's been created, where he deals with and brings judgment upon those who do not believe, but also sets up his son to rule and reign upon this earth. And this is the eye that Paul has fixed always upon the coming of Jesus. Jesus is coming to rule and reign. In chapter 2, I zeroed in on beginning in verse 13. He said, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you have heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. When they heard the word of God, they received it as it is in truth. There are many people who mock the word of God today. They believe that it's a compilation of religious beliefs, focusing in on the God of Israel and the Lord Jesus Christ, but still a compilation of many people who have written down, and it's just a compiled book, but not the very word of God. I've shared with you a few weeks ago how when our astronauts circled the moon for the very first time and they read from Genesis 1-1, now that book that they read from when it's being documented there at the Smithsonian it's called an ancient religious text that he read from. No longer the Bible, ancient religious text. But here we see that the church in Thessalonica received the word of God as it is, as it is in truth, the word of God. Sadly, in many of our churches today, the word is being doubted. Is everything in there actually from the Lord? And there are those who have set out to prove that which is from the Lord and that which is not causing us to have doubt in the Word of God. But we see here that Paul was so certain of the truth of the gospel that the effect that it has is that the belief in the Word of God, it works effectively then in us. If you take the Word of God as it is in truth, just as Scripture says, and if you use the Word of God in your lives, I believe a great way to begin that is, is to have a, a time of daily devotion. At the beginning of this year, it's a good thing to commit to, to try to do. It has been through the beginning of New Year's that I have developed the habit of reading God's Word daily. So, well, you're the pastor of the church, John. It's your job. You should be reading God's Word daily. Yeah, I should. But there's two different kinds of reading for a pastor. One is devotional for himself. The other is instructional for learning and teaching of others. And so I can take this book as a textbook and in my nine to five office hours come in and say, okay, I got to prepare a lesson for my class this coming Wednesday and Saturday. And I can look at it as more of an intellectual work, but I don't look at it that way. I look at it as it is in truth, the very word of God. And as we look at it in that way and realizing that as I'm working through it and as you're working through it, that it can have its effectual work in our lives, work the change that God desires in our life. The psalmist in Psalm 138, verse 2, said, I will worship toward your holy temple. I will praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth, for you have magnified your word above your name. The mindset of God toward his word. You have magnified your word above your name. Now, it's not that we are to worship the word of God, but to realize that it is the word of God and it's to be held in honor as the word. 
as we hold it in such honor, such respect, such usefulness in our daily lives, we'll find that it will have its effectual work in our lives. I can tell you this, that the changes that have taken place in my life is one, because of my faith in Jesus Christ, but also because of my continual devotion to the study of his word. And it's through the study of his word that my mind is being changed and renewed and that I become more like him. The Lord said to Isaiah in Isaiah 55, 11, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return void to me, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper for the thing for which I sent it. So God's word, he has a purpose for it, and a purpose for it in each of our lives. And here he's reminding the church, reminding us that as we receive the word of God, as it is in truth, it will have its effectual work in our lives. That's a good thing to remember at the beginning of this coming year, that the Lord wants to have an effectual work in your life. But also in this chapter in verse 19, he said, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Once again, that eye fixed upon the Lord's coming. And this time Paul's saying, I want to stand before my Lord and present you, the church in Thessalonica, as one of my prizes. Lord, this is the minus that you gave me. This is the talent that you gave me, and all these people behind me are a result of that. He said, what is our hope, joy, or crown of rejoicing? It wasn't that he was looking for a physical crown. He said that the people that he invested into, the church of Thessalonica, they were his crown. Do we think about that? Do we have our eyes fixed upon the Lord's coming that as believers now will stand before him one day and the Lord, the master of his servants will say, well, I gave you a gift. I gave you a talent. What'd you do with it, John? Well, I buried it and here it is. Just like when you gave it to me, I took it out and had it clean before I brought it back. So hope you appreciate that. That's not what I was after, John. Is after much more, so much more. You had so much more potential when you discover the gifts that come through my Holy Spirit. You realize that God has placed His Spirit in every believer. And through the work of the Holy Spirit, it's not the strength that we gain in our own physical strength. As Paul says, in my weakness, He is made strong. But as we serve our Lord and take what little He has given us, and perhaps for me it was beginning by cleaning the church. Not only did I get paid by doing that at uh, my dad's church, but at Costa Mesa for two years, I helped provide for my family by being a janitor. I'm a pretty good one. And, you know, I even, I still clean our house and help in cleaning of the house and everything. And things I learned on the job. In Calvary Chapel, there was an assistant pastor to Chuck named Romaine. On the Calvary Chapel movement, that name usually brought fear to all who would hear of it because Chuck was considered grace and Romaine was the iron fist that ruled that church. In a sense, Chuck was over his church, but Romaine was the one that handled the discipline. And if you were a gal, he was as sweet as can be. If you were a guy, well, he was an ex-Marine drill sergeant and he still had that character in him. And I one time got the wrath of Romaine. I know <laughs> what it felt like to have him come down on you. But twice... I got the soft side of Romaine, and once it was all his doing and had nothing to do with me. I didn't initiate it in, in any way. The second time I initiated it just by finding him the day that we were leaving, just saying I wanted to say goodbye to my pastor, and he kind of melted there. And, and initially when I walked up to him, he was talking to somebody, and 
he knew I was standing behind and I was just waiting, not wanting to interrupt. And in a Romaine-like fashion, he turned around and said, what do you want? And I said, I just wanted to say goodbye to my pastor. And he said, oh, let's pray. And he put his hands on me and prayed over me. But the other time, as a janitor, I was cleaning up. I had a Disney box, you know, the little broom and Disney box at Disneyland that they walk around and sweep up the grounds. That's what I was doing. I was in between classroom and time and, and didn't have really anything to do. So I just went around and started cleaning up the grounds there. And I was leaning over. I remember it vividly from my perspective. I was leaning over one of the flower beds, had my knees probably down, and I was cleaning out some trash in the flowers. And all of a sudden, I felt a hand go on my shoulder. And he said, when the Lord gives you your church, remember these days. And then he walked away. That was it. And see, it's that servant's heart that's necessary. And I still clean. I guess I will the rest of my life. And that's fine. I, I haven't forgotten those days. It has to do with our work as believers. Watching the Word of God work effectively, taking what little He has given us, and being willing to use it for Him, even though it may not be that glorified place or position. Now, there's something weird with Calvary chapels. In Calvary chapels, oftentimes janitors are held up pretty highly. And one of the reasons is because a lot of the pastors have come from being a janitor at Costa Mesa. I'm just one of many in the list. And Pastor Chuck often, when he's looking for people to do ministry, he looks in two areas. He looks for worship leaders, people that have a heart for worship, and for janitors, people that have a heart to serve. It's, it's two different styles of ministry, no doubt. One is very physical, and one brings glory to the Lord in a different way. They both bring glory to the Lord, but it's interesting. So here in this chapter, watching the Word of God work effectively in us, and then presenting to the Lord. What will we present? Take that work, no matter how small it is, what the Lord has given you, and take it and use it in such a way that you'll be able to present it to the Lord. And not in gloating, not in any gloating fashion, but Lord, I've taken what you've given me, the talent, the minus, and I've multiplied it for your glory. Here it is. In chapter 3, it's verse 8 that I zeroed in on, where he says, now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. Now Paul was Greatly concerned about the church in Thessalonica. Twice in chapter 2, he tells us that he tried to get back to them, but Satan hindered him from going. And so because he couldn't go, he sent Timothy back. And he says, bring us word. Tell us how they're doing. And Timothy brought back a good report. And Paul is now sharing with them that we live if you stand fast in the Lord. He's really saying, hey, man, you brought life. You breathed life into us there in Corinth. When we heard that you guys are standing fast, there's nothing better than to see those who have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter what age they were when they accepted the Lord, but to see them to continually walk in the Lord. How heart-wrenching and how heartbreaking it is to see believers fall away and they lose the fire that they once had when they first got saved. And this is what Paul is referring to, they didn't fall away. They were standing fast in their faith. And he says, man, it brings life to us. It breathes life into us. You have just renewed us in such a great way. We live if you stand fast in the Lord. He didn't say that they had arrived. He actually had sent Timothy back to help raise them up in the faith, to teach them even more, to perfect in them what was lacking in their faith. He desired and, and knew that they had some growing to do. 
And as a believer now of these many years, I'm 46 years old. I was saved when I was seven. And so for 39 years, a believer, I still have a lot of growing to do. Your pastor has not arrived yet. Whenever I stand up here and say that I have, just take me outside and, and beat me up. Do something to John. You're losing it. I haven't arrived yet. I have growing to do too, to perfect what's lacking in my faith, to perfect what's lacking in your faith. But it is life invigorating to hear that those who have been saved are still walking with the Lord. In verse 12, he said, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love toward one another to all, just as we do to you. And so in the growth, he was looking for them to increase. I had kind of rewrote this by looking at the original Greek to read like this. May the Lord make you become rich in love and to overflow in the great abundance of his love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. That the Lord would make us to become rich in love, so much so that it overflows out of our lives into the lives of others, both believers and unbelievers. May we be a people that increase and abound in this kind of agape love. But also in verse 13, he says, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before God, our God and Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Now again, looking to the future, that your hearts are established blameless, not because now of the works that you have done. Notice what he said there, that he may establish your hearts blameless, not you. You're doing the work of love, the labor of love, but it's the Lord who's establishing your heart blameless before him. It's a reminder that it's all about Jesus. It's Jesus and his work of faith, his labor of love that went to the cross as he paid the price for us who believe. He's the one who establishes our hearts blameless. In chapter 4, he moves to an issue of many things, but especially into this issue of sanctification. Chapter 4, verse 3, he says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now, sanctification means to be set apart for God's purposes. The word literally means purity. And he gave us a few areas to deal with. The first great concern of Paul was sexual immorality that was in the church. And this should be a great concern for us today because it's in our churches today too. And sanctification, part of sanctification is also found through sexual purity. Now, Paul's view on this was that a man should not marry, remain a virgin the rest of his life and serve the Lord in that fashion. But he also realized that that's not for everyone. He's not saying that sex is wrong. God, the inventor of sex, has given it its rightful place. It's wrong when it's not in its rightful place and not done in marriage. The first area in his great concern there in sanctification is sexual immorality, to abstain from it, that we should know how to possess our vessels, our bodies, in sanctification and honor, and only allowing that sexual intercourse to take place in the confinement of marriage as God has deemed for us and also brings honor and glory to the Lord. But also there were other areas just working out our lives in that chapter where he talked about that we are to aspire to live a quiet life, that we are to mind our own business and to work with our own hands. Hey, live a quiet life. Don't be a noisy person always trying to get into somebody else's affairs. But just worry about yourself. Take care of yourself. Provide for your own means and for those who you love. But then in chapter 4, he's again looking forward. He talks about what we have studied, the rapture of the church in verse 17. 
Then we are, who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. The church in Thessalonica were taught by Paul that Jesus was coming, and he was coming very soon. What took place is as while they were waiting, some of the church members began to die. And as we studied, Paul referred to that as they're sleeping in Jesus now. Their death is not like the world's death. They're, they're sleeping or resting in Jesus. They've come to their rest. But he went on to teach that they didn't miss anything. They're actually in Jesus at this time. And one day the Lord is going to return with his church in the air. And those who have gone on before to be with the Lord, those like my own parents and many of my loved ones and yours too, they're going to be there with the Lord. But the Lord with a shout, with the trump of God will quicken us. That word caught up there, it's, it talks about being snatched away by force. And so there'll be a day where the Lord interrupts this world and especially his church. But when he interrupts the church, the whole world will be thrown into chaos where he brings us to be with him forever. And so an eye looking for the future coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the rapture of his church. And then finally, in chapter 5, he switches it around. And in every preceding chapter, chapters 1 through 4, he's talked about the conditions, perhaps the work of the church in Thessalonica, his love toward them, their love toward him. And then he would end the chapter by talking about the Lord's coming. Now, we begin chapter 5 talking about the day of the Lord. Now, the day of the Lord is different than the rapture of the church. The day of the Lord refers to the day when the Lord Jesus comes to rule and reign on this earth. And he says in verse 2, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord shall also come as a thief in the night, that it's going to come suddenly upon this earth. The earth will, will not expect the Lord's coming. In Matthew twenty four twenty three, the Lord said, But know this, that if the master of the house had known the hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed the house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect it. Now we can look at it in two different ways. Us as the church, we're to keep that eye focused on the Lord's coming. He's going to come when we don't expect it. But the world, when he comes, they will be unexpected of his coming also. As in the day of Noah, the Lord taught in Matthew 24, 38 and 39. He says, in the day of Noah, people were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. It's going to be so sudden. Now, Noah was building for 125 years. There was testimony, not only from Noah, but from Enoch and many of the other believers prior to that, that God was going to do a work in that world prior to the flood. But only Noah and seven of his family members were saved, other than the animals that were with them. For the world, it, they were caught unexpected, but the flood came anyways. And so shall be this coming of the Son of God. Know perfectly that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. But to the church, he says in verse 6, Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. And so in the context of this, sleep talks about the unbelievers who are spiritually dead. Let's not be like those who are asleep that don't know that Jesus is coming. Let us be watchful and be aware of these coming events. In verse 8, he says, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and the helmet of the hope of salvation. 
So often those who don't have that imminent hope of Jesus' coming, they don't concern themselves too much with the things of the Lord. It's more so about what satisfies their flesh and their heart, their desires. And the things of the Lord can be as limited as going to church to pay my religious duties, respects, as small as Christmas and Easter for some, and they'll still claim to have faith. That's not a living faith. That's not a faith that's being worked out. That's not a a labor of love type faith that the Lord would have for us. What he desires for us is that we would have a living, working faith with an eye fixed upon the Lord's coming, realizing that he can come at any time. Father, I pray that you would be with us. As we look inward at our own lives, we just simply ask you, Lord, how am I doing, Lord? Is there some change you'd like to work in my life? We know, Lord, if we honestly ask that question, you'll say to each one of us, oh yeah, there's some change I'd like to work out. Lord, may we be a people who would allow you to work your change in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for the work that we've seen you do. And many of those who have just this year been growing in faith, perhaps this year just came to faith, and we've watched you work effectively in their lives. We thank you, Lord, for those of us who have been believers for many years, and we can testify, Lord, you're still working effectively. You're still doing a work in our life, and it's wonderful and glorious. We are your servants. Desire, Lord, that you would continue to do a work in our lives, realizing, Lord, that you are our great hope, and in you we put our trust. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today. And may the Lord richly bless you as you worship him today.